0: SMS SAFM now on 41391 Night Talk with Oliver Dixon You're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. The DRC election result has been announced by the Electoral Authority. In 10 days, it will be determined whether that's the official result or whether or not a potential rerun may be considered as opposition parties are asking for it to happen. The Constitutional Court will receive over the next two days objections by opposition candidates, and uh, there will be no short of such things. And over the next seven days thereafter, determine whether those objections uh, hold water or not, Dr. William Mbofu, researcher at the University of the Witwatersrand, political analyst and senior research associate at Good Governance Africa, joins us for this conversation. Uh, Dr. Mbofu, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. A landslide victory for Chisikeri. uh Was this predictable?
1: Yeah, in Africa. Uh, uh, good evening to you and to the viewers and to the, all of the continent. Um, incumbency entails predictability it's difficult for opposition political parties ever in africa to engineer victory legitimately or illegitimately one can observe that
0: so with that then considered um, you know given that this was effectively an incumbency continuation thereof um the landslide victory despite the fact that there are claims of the election having been rigged not being free and fair uh, and having been manipulated despite that notwithstanding a landslide victory often signals where legitimate a overwhelming confidence by the electorate in the president and here we're talking about 18 million congolese people that went to the poll about 40% uh, plus, uh, uh, you know, turnout at the polls this particular election round. Um, if it is to be legitimately the case that there is, as reflected in the vote, overwhelming support by the electorate for uh, Felix Chissakiri, what is it based on? Given the conditions of instability, violence, uh, quite literally war, um, and growing poverty in in the DRC, what else? Uh, what potentially? Could that overwhelming confidence be based on?
1: Yes. um, Before I say anything, I think it's important that we observe that it's um, in Africa, but not essentially in Africa, but in the world of politics itself, especially real politics, that theory uh, frequently overtakes reality, often overtakes um, uh, praxis. In that, What is on paper, what is stated, uh, is taken as what is, uh, in negligence and sometimes in ignorance of um, reality. Elections are not won in the votes, in the casting of ballots uh, and all that, but are won and lost in the processes that precede the actual voting, Was the media coverage of all political parties even was the security for all political participants even, was the actual um, legislation and um, regulation governing the elections even, where the resources for all participants distributed evenly. Uh, that's where electioneering takes place. That's where victory is uh, achieved. That's where losses are are, are gained, if one can use that term. So that's where we are. And given the theory, we can say, well, this is overwhelming. Um, That margin, that percentage is not a joke, as theoretical Mm. and as um, uh, conceptual as it is. But um, as you are saying, this happens in a context where The Congo itself, that is the DRC, is not conducive for any free and fair election anywhere. It's a war situation, a situation of extreme poverty, a situation of a humanitarian crisis where refugees are strewn all over, and where political participants at the contesting level and at the voting level and at the supporting and not supporting level are dangerous because there is insecurity all over the place and all over that. So, um, is a legitimate and credible election possible in such a context? The answer, academically and uh, philosophically, is no. But here we are with this on paper, and that's what we're dealing with. And as you are saying, this is a troubling context, especially... Yeah based on the promise of the candidate that is overwhelmingly, in theory and in concept one, the elections that give me victory and I will declare war on a particular country being Rwanda in this case. So what is the victory where an election, where a ballot which is supposed to replace a bullet is based on a victory that promises bullet in Africa. So it spells out further dystopia in that region in Africa and in the world, because the world context matters. This happens at a time where the world is at war in different pockets and different armpits of the world, Palestine, Ukraine, Sudan, and elsewhere, including uh, some of West Africa and um, Cabo Del Cato in Mozambique and elsewhere. So we're looking at a 2024 that is looking dark, that is looking bloody, that is looking warlike uh, and all that. So it's quite worrisome if one can observe from where one is standing.
0: Yeah. Uh, William, I want to ask you what seems like an incredibly rudimentary question to ask. Uh, because it really is a first principles question, and perhaps we should have started the conversation there. Uh, Pretend this is a first-year cohort of students that just joined your politics class uh, at Wits, and you starting the year explaining to them where democracy sources its credibility from, and consider the context then of the Congo. Where does a a governing administration uh, draw its credibility from if what you're describing the drc and i mean in all senses of of our imagination we can describe it as a Rawlsian state of nature uh, where there's complete collapse of 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 politics where there's complete collapse of institutions and systems and procedures and processes where fairness is a far fetched ideal what then do you describe to be the source of credibility uh, that that would be for the DRC administration, because its credibility is not just a thing for its own sake and its own sovereignty and its own borders. Credibility has to be something that other nation states can recognize and say this is the credible source and, and, and actor we will be engaging with, as is the case with the letter that President Ramaphosa had written uh, to Felix Cisakete congratulating him on his victory. Uh, that's what credibility means, right? That's the, the, the implication of the exercise thereof. Considering all of that, how do you describe to your first-year cohort of students uh, what the democratic and governance credibility of Felix Shisekedi may be?
1: Uh, I I want to congratulate you and celebrate you for uh, mentioning uh, the collapse of politics. Because uh, all these uh, conflicts, uh, not just in the DRC, the skirmishes that we've seen, and the instability that we've seen, but worldwide, where politics collapses, war erupts. And um, the tragedy that we have witnessed is that um, a, a credibility tends to be usurped by elites <laughs> that have the power and the privilege to endorse each other, to congratulate each other, and to award credibility and legitimacy to each other. The South African establishment is not just an establishment it's an african power when south africa speaks in africa uh, africa is this. so politically that uh president ramaphosa has congratulated uh president uh the president elect is politically significant but credibility should if the political not politics if the political was at play if liberation was a play, credibility should lie with we, the people. And what we have in theory, as we have just spoken, is that the people of the DRC have overwhelmingly endorsed uh, uh, President Chisakete and his establishment as his, and his initiative as their elected uh, establishment. But uh, practically and liberatory credibility should Lie with we the people. Debate can ensure and go on on. Have the we the people of the Kong, of the PRC of Africa and of the world really, really overwhelmingly uh, mm-hmm. endorsed this um, establishment? And um, given what the background that you have just brilliantly given yourself is, um, when in Africa are we going to have? Multilateral um, organizations like the East African Union, uh, SADC, AU, ECOWAS, that have the teeth to command African political parties, governing and not governing, to respect the will of the African people in every country. The we, the people of Africa. That is yet to be seen. Where the will of the ordinary people of Africa, not the elite, not the former liberation movement, not the political parties, not the presidents that have a network of friendships and all that. The weedy people as African water drinkers and bread eaters, the weedy people, that will has really not been defended. And what makes it tragic is that this is happening in a fragile world, in a precarious world. Where once again we have superpowers calling the shots, looking for spheres of influence. This country now belongs to this superpower. This one is commanded by that superpower. This one is controlled by the East. This one is controlled by the West. We do not even know if our leaders, elected or not, are our leaders, are our prefects, but not puppets, not people that are sponsored, not people that are managers on behalf of this and that superpower and all that. So for Africa, it's really worth because we have always been economically and politically commanded, squeezed and compressed to the spheres of influence and clients of other powers besides our own self.
0: Yeah, so I, I, I want us to pause for a minute and, and, and reflect on um, the imposition of the will of the people uh, in Africa over the last, let's make it the last two years, right? Uh, you, the Gabon, you saw a coup there in Gabon, Burkina Faso, Chad, Niger, um, and Mali. All of those countries either had successful coups or an attempt of a coup uh, sometime in the last uh, uh, two years with uh, the disposition of uh, Ali Bongo being the most recent and the most successful thereof. Um, and what you saw was Nations that had been where presidents and administrations have been unseated through coups; those nations often give each other the exact credibility that uh, presidents give each other through the uh, through the seemingly democratic uh, tool of, of of the vote. Right. Um, so when one nation recognizes another nation and forms a bilateral uh, relationship, they're telling each other, "We see each other as credible." That's effectively what that means, and that's where, as you just explained now, some Times credibility can be borrowed from especially when the source of it is itself seems a credible uh, country such as south africa president ramaphosa giving credibility uh, to felix chisekedi so if the uh, the military coup commanders of mali gives the military coup commanders of uh, gabon a recognition of credibility that it so be it right and often it is assumed that when there's a coup It is an action on behalf of the will of the people, even though it may not be. If we look at Sudan, for instance, we can see that the will of the people was to uh, dispose of the president, but not to live under military rule for as long as they have right now. This is why we've seen a resurgence of uh, the sort of um, civil uprising that we've seen in Sudan, right? at least in South Sudan. Um, Consider that, and then consider perhaps even uh, the... Uh, the disposition of Mosni Mubarak and Egypt uh, all those years ago when what came to be dubbed as the Arab Spring, and that being uh, the people taking uh, governance and the will of itself into its own hands and imposing its own will on, on its institutions and, and, and its democracy or whatever its uh, system of, of, of governance may be. Given that, and that there's a potential for the will of the people to uh, ensue in ways that are outside of the confines of democratic processes. Is the DRC and its neighbors, such as Rwanda as well, must be considered, vulnerable to civil uprisings and coups of that nature?
1: Yeah, I thank you once again for, for that observation and um, the the clear indication that. You are not just discussing this topic because you are at work, but you have been reading around and <laughs> observing. Uh, it's um, scary in that um, the demarcation, um, I mean the divide between incumbents and opponents has produced a certain development in the past two years to three years, as you have stated, where elections are almost being overtaken by coups and uprisings i'm saying this based on the evidence that if you look at the coups that have taken place in parts of um west africa and um uh, southern africa considering zimbabwe specifically uh, these coups, excluding the zimbabwean ones will Mm. appear to be so popular and the coup makers these soldiers that are coming up a particularly young guys well-read like me and you articulate like me and you and are getting celebrated by publics masses throng the streets to celebrate these schools and these young soldiers are coming up to articulate exactly the language that resonates with the masses against incumbents that are accused of uh coalescing with uh, imperialism, coalescing with corruption, coalescing with state capture and coalescing with that. The fear that I can not not predict, but project uh, from a political philosophy standpoint a political analysis standpoint is that we might witness a situation in Africa where masses of Africa look up to soldiers, look up to protests and look up to uprisings as means of political change, and as means of negotiating political power, as means of na- navigating power, elections are losing currency, as they are losing credibility. People are ending up looking up to soldiers, protesters, and other forces for change. And that's one and uh, speaking about um, Southern Africa, for instance, South Africa is going into a very curious very spectacular and very, uh, you know, attention-arresting election. But elections themselves are losing currency, but people are looking forward to yeah. other means as a way of negotiating power. That should worry us because um, if we begin to go outside constitutions, outside the dom- democratic experiment and the democratic framework for political change, then the wilderness, darkness, and other possibilities are at play, you know. I hope I've um, answered your question. Yeah, uh, look,
0: and I think that's an interesting provocation, the idea that uh, democracy is both losing, or at least the voting process as a function of democracy is losing both its credibility as well as its currency. Um, I I, I think that's an interesting uh, provocation. But how does that measure against, especially historically, uh you know participation in the process because a 40 percent voter turnout uh in a country like the drc is no small feat in fact that's uh, forty plus, uh, forty plus percent, right? That's nearly half the registered voters uh, being able to turn up. You know, uh, by any standard of democracy on the continent, half your voters turning up to cast a vote is 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 is, is seen as, as 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 a high turnout. You know, South Africa at some point had voter turnout in excess of sixty-five percent, and it's been trickling down uh, since. But uh, you know, that s- signals to me that at least half the people in your country still believes in the process, the tool, the mechanism, and the institution.
1: Yes, uh, that is it. Is true. Because as we began, we discussed how this is theory to start with. We discussed how this is concept to start with. We discussed that is what we are being told. Because processes are in trouble. Records are in trouble. Uh, electoral uh, managing bodies are troubling and worrying and all that. But I think given um, the philosophical dilemma that we have put down, we need to notice that in almost every African country right now, the people who turn out to vote tend to be a minority, which means that even if a party uh, gains a majority in terms of vote, uh, And all that, we still live under the tyranny of a majority that is actually a minority because apathy is always a winner in every election in Africa. There are people that have lost hope, people that don't register even to vote, or people that cannot register because of the processes and all that. So it's democracy, yes, in concept and in theory and in framework, but it's still the minority. provoked, pressured, and persuaded by the elite that governs in Africa. Uh, it's not uh, the majority as the theory of democracy assumes, that the majority yeah. have prevailed, the majority of voters have prevailed. But even the people that are registered to vote in any country, including South Africa, are a minority compared to the citizenry, to the population and sure. everybody. And, and that that should trouble us. If we take seriously the issue of legitimacy, the issue of consensus, and the issue of credibility.
0: Sure. Just to circle back, uh, as, as we cadence this conversation, to circle back to the minutiae of the DRC and Felix Gisekedi, uh Is the I mean, he's he's been seen and described by name by many as a puppet of the West, particularly that of France. Um, He's been um, cons- uh, framed as someone that uh, doesn't want to stand up to the uh, pillage of the country by uh, multinational corporations that extract its minerals and uh, leave no value and dividends uh, thereof. Um, he's been framed as all sorts of things uh, that are nefarious, insidious, and you know anti uh, Congolese people uh, who are suffering the most. Uh, that's not withstanding whether it's true or not, what can we realistically expect from his, his his second term as presidency, given that it is likely to also be his last term as presidency, unless, of course, uh, manipulation of the Constitution takes place thereafter. But uh, are we to expect an emboldened uh, Felix Chisakeri over the next four and a half years that we didn't see uh, previously?
1: Yeah, you and I know that... Um history repeats itself, and that um, forces of history and sectors of history do not die. They only change name, they only change structure, and they only change system. This is uh, Patrice Lumumba's country we're talking about. Let's not even pretend that the forces that killed Lumumba and the forces that uh, promoted uh, Moise Chombe, and that the forces that worked with uh, Mobutu Seko, and that the forces that assassinated um, uh, Lorraine Kabila, and that the forces that have kept that country unstable uh, at war now and again, and that they have kept the resources of the DRC being harvested by multinational corporations, militias, um, companies, powerful individuals, other governments of the region have slept, those forces are still alive. So the Tisageti we are evaluating that we are observing today is also under the vortex, under the the, 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 the the knowledge and under the pressure of the same forces that affected Lumumba positively and then negatively and then positively and negatively. So it's a mess. It's dystopia. Mm. It's dark. So there are forces beyond the DRC, forces beyond Africa, that have interest in who governs the DRC and who does not. So that's how deep yeah. and that's how dark it is for Africa. Even if we stop yeah. worrying about the Congo specifically and think about the continent, that's how hard it is for, for the African continent. I, I think that's how I can answer your question sure. without yeah. uh, choosing any side now and making any judgment.
0: Yeah. No, certainly. Uh, Dr. William Mbofu, thank you so much for your time this evening. I really do appreciate you, your time and your insights, and uh, a happy 2024 to you.
1: Same to you, to the viewers,
0: and to Africans and all human beings in the world. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. I'm taking your reaction to that. Give me a call 086-000-2032, 86 We're going to take a quick break. On the other side of that, we speak to Nzika Masondo, who is the CFO of the National Stockfile Association of South Africa. And we talk about stockfiles.